Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Happy Palm Sunday. We're glad you're here with us today. Uh, as they were talking about I- invites, remember uh, we have these invite cards. I've already used several, and I'm getting, picking up more today to take with me to give to folks. And uh, I think they noted we've, uh, on the coffee shop stage out there, we've set up a backdrop where you can do kind of a, a selfie and, and send it through social media as, hey, I'm going to Gateway this Sunday on Easter, on April Fool's or whatever you want to say, at 9.30 or 11.15, um, and I'd love for you to join us. So just, we're, we want to just put those tools out there for you. We want to encourage you also to serve uh, in many of the places because we know we're going to have more people and there's, there's always a, a need for that, that hospitality, and there's places out at the First Steps where you can sign up for that. And then, and then really, praying is fundamentally important. And we're going to have an opportunities from 7 a.m. On, on that holy Saturday to 7 a.m. on Easter. Uh, and 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., you can come up here, and we'll have prayer stations and things to ha- help you pray. Uh, and then from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., you would do it on your own in your own, your own setting. But I uh, want to encourage all those things because uh, this is a great opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ and really point people to what really matters and, and what ultimately matters. It is... Palm Sunday, it is the day that we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem where the crowds essentially proclaimed him as as their king. Unfortunately, their idea of a king and the kind of king Jesus came to be were very different. They were looking to follow a warrior king, someone who would would defeat their Roman masters. But Jesus came to free them and us from a much more deadly master, sin, and the death that always comes out of sin. It's not unlike, really, today. A lot of folks acknowledge Jesus and, and will even offer him praise when it's easy or they think they can get something in return for it. But they have little desire, often, or intention to trust him and follow him wherever he leads us. A lot of people know about him, but they're not abiding in him, as we looked at last week. And yet only days after entering Jerusalem on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus made this clear to his disciples. In John chapter 15, he said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Folks, that's what disciples of Jesus Christ do, which is why we're focusing on this and and offering our first round of an introduction to discipleship classes this weekend. Um, I I attend, I am introducing them this weekend. I was at the first one yesterday. We had a a full room and got several, a lot of people down there this morning right now. We'll be doing again at 11 and again at 1230. And you don't have to sign up. If you just show up, you can be there. You can be a part of that and, and join us as we 
together join on this journey of making sure we understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And even, I've said this before, but even if, if you have been at this a long time, a disciple of Jesus is not just about themselves, but about helping others become disciples. And so we want to equip you and train you to help others do that. And so that's part of the journey as well. Even if we don't tell you anything you don't already know biblically, we will encourage you over time to be able to share that with others. And so that's really important. It's hard being a disciple. We don't fully understand who a disciple is and what a disciple does. And our class will help you know that and experience that and help you then help others. Because our goal is for every adult in this church to go through this. Just hear that. You can look around and you you can say, well, he's talking about her or talking about him. No, I'm talking about you. I've already been through it three times. I went yesterday morning just to introduce it, and it was so good, I stayed for the whole thing. So I I really want to encourage you on this. It's not too late to get on, on the class today because we want all of you in it. So uh, keep that in mind. But as Jesus shows us in this passage in John 15, discipleship isn't simply about knowing more about Jesus, but all about so abiding in him that we begin to imitate him, taking on his lifestyle, taking on his characteristics, living as Jesus lived day in and day out. We're talking about, and we've developed kind of a a working definition, if you will, of a disciple. Someone who follows Jesus, looks at what Jesus did, and seeks to imitate him. Now, I I don't know that I need to say anything about imitate, but imitate, I started looking up this week, you know, looking up people who did imitations. Rich Little was one of the ones from the past. Jimmy Fallon does a lot of imitations and things like that. But what do you do? How can you imitate somebody? Can you imitate someone if you've never listened to them, if you've never been around them? No. To imitate, you have to spend time with them. You have to pick up on what they're about. Imitation is not just about the words, but about the life and how they do things. I mean, I love those guys who are really good at imitating is that they don't just say the words, but they, they, they take on the mannerisms and the activities, and they look and sound and make you think that you're in the, in the room with that person. And so we call you to act as Jesus did, because that's, that's what disciples do. Disciples abide in him, and disciples love. So I want to invite you, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to John chapter 15, or you can put, use on your mobile device, you can use the YouVersion Bible app. If you have neither of those with you, we've got the, the notes in the bulletin that you can pull out and follow along and take take notes. And and if if you didn't see last week, it's available on on Facebook and on our website. You can go back and watch last week's message. You don't have to have seen it to to understand what we're talking about today. But I'm going to pick up in John chapter 15, verse 9. We looked at the first eight verses last week. I'm picking up in verse 9, where Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
Jesus grounds love in God. And decades later, John himself would, in fact, be explicit about this in his in this first letter found in the latter part of the New Testament, where he says, verse chapter 4, verse 16, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And, and notice, John doesn't say love is God. Like somehow our understanding of love we apply that definition to God. He says God is love. And so therefore, the nature of God, the being of God, the person of God, the actions of God define what love means. And so if we aren't abiding in God through Jesus Christ, we really don't have a clue about what this love is. And some of you know this, but the Greek language recognized this and actually had more than four, but four that are commonly used, different Greek words that are all translated into English as love. The first one is phileo, and it means friendship love, the kind of love you, expect, you offer between friends. The next one is storge, and that is called, uh, we would translate that as family love, the, the love of a fam- within a family. The third one is eros, passionate love, romantic, often sexual love. Um, and don't have to explain that. That's all over the culture today. In fact, this is often the most common understanding of love. But there is a fourth one, and it is the most significant one, agape love, unconditional love, sacrificial love. The first three of these have um, uh, degrees of emotion attached to them. But the fourth one, agape, is actually a decision, a choice. And it's the word always used to talk about God's love in the Bible. They don't use the word phileo. They don't use the word storge. They don't use the word eros in the Bible when it's talking about God's love. They use the word agape. I've often defined agape love as choosing to accept someone for who they are and working sacrificially for their good. And this is the kind of love John's writing about, both in his gospel and his letter, when he says God is love. And this is the kind of love he is calling you and me to abide or remain or stay or live in. And so in verse 7 of 1 John, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This kind of love, in fact, is the clearest mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ, the the natural outgrowth of, of a disciple abiding in Jesus. Disciples abide, and disciples therefore love. The Apostle Paul spent the entire 13th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians giving us a a practical picture of what that love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. I mean, as soon as we say patient, we ought to all understand that this is challenging stuff. And as we saw last week, love is the first fruit listed in Paul's fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and some have suggested that as, because he begins with the word love, that in fact the remaining fruit is all trying to give us a broader understanding of that one word love. And Jesus tells us the key to living this love is abiding in him living it and abiding it. Jesus said in chapter 15 of John, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, 
you will abide, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is making it clear that obedience is how you and I demonstrate, it's how he demonstrated our love, our love for God, our love for Jesus. And, and, and listen, this is really important. Obedience is not how we please God and therefore earn his love. That's the secular approach and understanding of love. It is how we act once we understand that God has unconditionally loved us and demonstrated that love for us through the, the life, death, and resurrection of his only son, Jesus Christ. Love for God, love for our neighbors, is our obedient response to God's agape love. And so we, we seek to share that love with others, including helping others become disciples of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that living out this kind of love is, is necessarily a pain or a drudgery. John goes on to quote Jesus to say, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus says, not, not Randy's joy, Jesus' joy may be in you. That in fact your joy may be full. It's his desire that this kind of love will lead us to experience that second fruit of the Spirit, joy, as we discover the blessing of obediently living for God and others. And now, listen, joy doesn't mean everything goes our way. It doesn't mean everything happens the way I want it to happen. But it means that in the midst of life, there is a peace and a contentment and a knowledge that I am being, I'm trying to live my life in God's love and God's will that will carry me through anything. It is Jesus' supernatural joy, in fact, that enabled him to face criticism, to even face the cross. But Jesus wants to make it clear that this agape love, as an outgrowth of abiding in him, isn't a feeling. It's not something optional for his disciples, for those who have put their faith in him, but it is expected as a daily decision for how you and I live our lives. Jesus said in John 15, verse, beginning of verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus says this love is his commandment. Now listen, you can't command a feeling. I can't tell you, I want you, I command you to feel love for me. It's not possible to do. But I can command, or Jesus can command, an action. Do this. Jesus made the choice to love you and me, and he's about to, to demonstrate how far that love goes. He's going to lay down his life for his friends. He'd already told them earlier that evening that this commandment was a new commandment he was giving them. And now he affirms it again because it's fundamental for how people will see God's power and presence in their lives. He said in chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And I want to tell you, there is no more defining mark, no greater example of the presence of the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us than when we love one another. In the early centuries of the church, in fact, before the church was even legal, the plague and other diseases would often come into a community. And, and there, was no, there was no medical cure. Nothing like what we can do today. And what did people do? People left. They would leave the town. They would leave the city. They would get away. They would run. All except one group. And it was very curious. Because time after time after time, Christians would remain behind to care for the sick and dying. Christians would love on those whom their family left, whom their friends left, whom their spouses left behind. And, and nobody understood why they were doing this. But they did because they were laying down their lives for their friends, even people they didn't know. They literally lived out Jesus' command because they understood that loving our neighbors isn't optional. And here's the thing. It, it, they weren't protected. It wasn't like all these Christians survived the plague. Many of them also contracted the plague and died. There was no magic to this. There was no, there was no magic formula. There was nothing like, I'm going to do this and, and God's going to protect me somehow like he owes it to me. No. All they had was the promise that they would live forever in him, even if they died being obedient for him in this life. They literally lived out Jesus' command. In fact, around 200 A.D., one of the early Christian fathers named Tertullian wrote about the reaction that he was hearing from pagans. And, and pagan back then just meant non-Christian, non non-Jews. As, as they saw Christians loving and caring for one another, he said over and over, he heard them say about these Christians, see how they love one another. See. It wasn't just, listen, I think they care. See. It was so obvious they could see it. This is exactly what Jesus wanted for his first disciples. And it's exactly what he wants for his disciples today. Jesus said his disciples proved their friendship with him through their willingness to follow him and obey him. He goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And now, interestingly, this designation by Jesus as friends was really significant as he passes it on to the disciples. And there's really some history behind this, because when you look in the Old Testament, there was only one person ever called a friend of God, and that was Abraham. And it wasn't during his lifetime. It was more than a 1,000 years later. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 41, verse 8, said that Abraham, God called Abraham my friend. 
Only time it occurs in the whole Old Testament. And now Jesus is saying it's available to all of us, but there was more to it than that. The title of friend would have had more significance to Jesus' hearers in that day and time than perhaps you and I would know to put on it. Because in his time, the Roman emperor and the other rulers, Middle Eastern kings, all these kind of stuff, they had a a very select group in their courts called, and this was kind of a technical term, friends of the king. Friends of the king. And the friends had total and unlimited access to the king. They could go into his chamber at any time and talk to him, even into his bedchamber at the beginning of the day. They could go in, they could talk to him, they could share with him. The king often talked to the friends of the king before he would talk to his statesmen or his generals. They had the closest connection, the closest bond to their king. And Jesus is telling his disciples then, but also today, that they have that same privilege of being friends of the king, of an intimacy with God himself through Jesus Christ. For that reason, Jesus said, he's let them in on the Father's plan. For all I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And even if they didn't always understand, Jesus has told them that he's going to be taken He's going to be tried. He's going to be beaten. He is going to be crucified and killed. And yet he is going to rise on the third day and empower his followers with his very own spirit to create his church, which will stand against the gates of hell and be his body until he returns. will judge all evil and bring them into their eternal home with him forever. This is such an incredible privilege. But he has even more to promise his disciples. In verse 16 he says, he goes on to say, you didn't choose me. He didn't say, you know, you guys were out there and you heard about me and you decided to come to me. He says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He said, guys, you didn't wake up one day and just decide to follow me. From the very beginning of your existence, God, from the beginning of time, God knew that you would, be, would come into this world. He had a plan for your life. He loved you. He claimed you. And he has been seeking you every moment of your existence, wooing you, seeking, drawing you to himself. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, Jesus demonstrated this with three straight parables the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And each one of them, it is a picture of God seeking. And the, and the thing that's significant here is Jesus didn't tell one parable. Like, okay, here's my point. He didn't tell two parables. Okay, this is kind of important. He told three parables. This is the only place that Jesus tells three similar parables in a row. And this says this is really important. That your heavenly Father loves you so much that he is never going to stop seeking you out. doesn't matter what you do. 
He gives the example of the prodigal son who goes off and wastes and denies his father. That, that father never gave up on his son. Amen. Amen. And our heavenly father will never give up on you or anyone. And I mean, that's important for people to hear. That's important for people to understand why Easter is so important. Is the very people that aren't here, the very people that don't believe, the very people that aren't sure if he exists or if he's real or if he matters, God is still seeking them. He has not given up on them. Some of you were them. Some of you can testify. There was a time in my life that I didn't care. It didn't matter to me. And yet I discovered that God did not give up on me. And he will not give up on anyone this side of the grave. He is pursuing all of us because of his great love. We haven't earned it or deserved it, but because he created us, He seeks for us to know him as our heavenly father. And he has chosen you to bear fruit. Fruit that will abide, that will last. He wants to work through you. Singular. Not plural. Singular. Each one of you, each one of us, to have an eternal impact on the people around you and on our world. admittedly, you don't have to go along with this. He gives you the choice. But Jesus has already told us that any branch that doesn't bear fruit will be removed and burned. But that is not his desire. That's not his goal for any of us. Just as God pursued you, he is pursuing every person around you. He wants you to be his witness in their lives to love one another as he commanded you. So you can join him in his calling to save the world, his decision to save the world. That's why, again, Easter is such a great time to invite those around you because God has been working in other people's lives. He doesn't, he's not going to just start working in them the first time you think about talking to them. He started working in their life the moment they were an embryo in their mother's womb. From the very first moment, And he will not stop. And most folks who don't have a church home tend to be more open to attending church at holiday times, like Easter, like Christmas. Doesn't mean that they'll say yes, because God gives us all free will. And anyone can reject him, but his spirit is working even now. And you may be surprised who will say yes if you ask. But if you don't ask... They'll just go on with life. Maybe the Spirit will work on them. Maybe it won't. But it may be precisely your invitation that gets them to take a next step and attend. And so we don't want you to miss the opportunity to join God in loving your neighbors by inviting folks this coming week. You know, as I was reading this week, one writer came up with a really interesting analogy, and it's this wheel. A wheel. doesn't matter what wheel. It's not that wheel. It's just a wheel. I found that wheel online. So it's just a wheel. But, but the idea is the more we abide in Christ, Christ is at the hub, at the core, the closer we draw in to him. And you notice what happens is that when you're drawing closer and someone else is drawing closer, you're also drawing closer to them. 
There's something about how we, when we love God, it enables us to love one another at a greater level. It's not always even conscious. It is because he is working to change our hearts and our minds in this. First Corinthians says, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And that's our motivation. That's our reason. That's our lives. We've set up a, a backdrop on, I mentioned earlier, on the coffee shop stage and invite you to pick up one of the cards, do, do a selfie, um, do whatever you do, whatever social media you like, and post it and invite people to come. We've created these invitation cards that have the service on the back. Pick them up. Take them with you. Invite people to join you. And above all, join us in praying. Praying that God will work in those people's lives. Because even if they tell you no now, maybe they will tell you yes the next time. I've told you this before. I used to have a list of three. It's now a list of four people that I'm continually praying for. I've already handed out several of these cards, including some of those. And I don't know if any of them are going to show up. I've been praying for some of those folks for four years. It's a part of my, my, my prayer list. And I'm going to continue praying. I'm going to continue praying until they show up or until I die. And I encourage you to join in. Join in what God is doing in praying. And, and use the, the prayer time that we're, all, we're setting up this week, this coming weekend, this Saturday, to join us. Inviting people to do this is one of the greatest gifts you can give them. And we're going to start, we're actually going to start a series on Easter called Hope Rising. That there is hope. And we're going to share the hope of Jesus with everyone here next Sunday. And we're going to continue sharing that hope in the weeks after. Because we know people in this world today need hope. But again, let's just be clear as I'm wrapping up. Jesus commanded his disciples that that's any of us who have chosen to make Jesus Savior and Lord of our lives. He has commanded you and me to go and make disciples and love God and love our neighbors. He tells us that disciples abide and disciples love. And inviting folks to Easter is just one step in that journey that he's laying out for you so that you can go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide. Serving in your church on Easter is another way to love your neighbor by welcoming them, providing them support and encouragement they need in order to experience the love of Christ firsthand and to be his hands and feet. And if you if you haven't done that, you can go out to Next Steps here in just a moment and sign up for that. If you're a disciple, you, you show your love by obeying his commands. But you also know that God has gone before you, that God is on the move. So it's not all about you, but trusting that God is in fact actually working, doing what he said he's going to do. Just the other day, one of you walked up to me and, and, and thanked me for this church. You, you, you talked to me about finally... If it finally had gotten through to you what God is all about and what he's been doing 
and what he's been doing in your life for years, and you had just started to see it. And you were excited and you were grateful and you wanted to help others know that too. Listen, you and I will never realize how profoundly God is seeking to use us. And we won't experience his joy fully until we obey him, until we step out, until we love our neighbors. God really is on the move if we'll just allow ourselves to join him. And so to close out this service, I want to invite you to, to stand. And we're going to sing that. And I, and I hope you, you'll do more than just say the words, but let them be a claim for you and for us as a church. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.